Thank you. Y'all have a seat. Now I'm nervous that I'm going to misspell something publicly. And y'all are going to be like, no, he was lying. He's lying. Listen, I have known Pastor, I was calculating this yesterday, um, I think for 26 years, which is a long time to know somebody. And when you've known somebody for that long and they say nice things about you, it's a plus because there are a lot of things that he could tell about me. There are a lot of stories from back in the day and like probably from yesterday that he could tell about me as well. So it is such an honor to be here. It's an honor to serve with you. It's an honor to serve um, this church. And I just want to let you guys know what kind of pastor you have if you're a four-pointer or if you're a guest, what kind of man of God is leading this church. He is the type of man who in our staff meetings will say, how can we honor and elevate women in this place? He has more females than males on his staff and doesn't see that as an issue to be corrected. And he's the type of man who will say things like, Okay, y'all tell me what I need to hear, not just what I want to hear. He is a man of God, and I'm honored to follow you. So thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Y'all honor him this morning. And I also want to give a shout-out to my family right here. I mean, these are my family too, but I'm giving a shout-out specifically to Shannon and our worship team this morning. Y'all, every single week, they just usher us into the presence of the Lord. And if y'all did not feel the room shift this morning... Something shifted. Did y'all feel it? I worked up a little sweat. I got a little perspiration from my worship this morning. So good. So yeah, Shannon and I are family. Um, I am married to her big brother, Josh. And there was one time where I was trying to explain to somebody the relationship that she and I have. And instead of saying, I'm married to her big brother, I said, she is married to my big brother, which is wrong on many levels because first of all, I don't have a big brother. He's a little brother and she's not married to him. But I didn't catch it when I said it. And so people were looking at me like, what? Something's not right there. And I didn't get it. Do y'all ever have that experience where what you hear in your head is not necessarily what comes out of your mouth? That what we're hearing and believing and accepting and then living from is not truth? Somebody this morning? Has that ever happened to you? That's where we're going today. If you're one of those people like I am who needs to know where we're going before we ever leave. If you need an itinerary. That's our itinerary. Okay, that's where we're going. We are going to the things that we hear in here that are not the truth. And we're confronting them today. It's going to get real. It's going to get real today. So we are finishing up our series, Last Chance You. And if you're new, if you've missed part of this series, I just want to tell you what it's about. It's a play on the Netflix series, Last Chance You, the letter U as in university which is all about these Division I athletes who for some reason or another have not met their potential at the big schools, okay? It could be academic, it could be athletic, and for some reason, they're just not performing up to where they need to be. And so they are sent down to these smaller like community colleges where it's like they're being rehabilitated, okay? They are learning to, first of all, go to class. Any teachers in here? I'm a former high school English teacher, and I love how the academic advisor in this show will say things like, man, why don't you take a pencil to class? And I'm like, I feel that in my spirit. I can relate on so many levels. Why don't you take a pencil? So they're training these kids um, how to be academic, how to succeed academically, but they're also teaching them the skills that they need to know athletically. Now, this might come as a shock. I am not a football player. Okay, I keep saying I want to try. I'd probably get broken in half, but I'm not a football player, but we can all relate to that feeling, can't we? A feeling like it's our last chance. Feeling like for some reason, this is it. This is it or else. 
And so in this series, Pastor has taught us a lot of really important things like what do you do when you feel like it's your last shot? He's taught us about the necessity of repeated forgiveness where we in our flesh want to say, this is your last chance. This is your last chance to do right by me, but that's not what's biblical. And so we repeatedly forgive even when we don't feel like it. Last week's message, if you were not here for it or if you did not watch it online, I encourage you to go back because, oh, it was so powerful. It was about the four crazy friends. Y'all remember this? Where there are four friends who know that it is their buddy's last best chance to get to Jesus. And so what they do is they each pick up a corner of the mat that their sick friend is lying on. They tear the roof off the building that Jesus is in and they lower him into the presence of God. And pastor challenged us to be one of those four crazy friends because there are people in our lives and it's their last best chance to get to Jesus and it's on us. So last week we went inside the house and today we're going inside the mind, which I think is probably a much scarier place to go. We're going inside the mind and we're going to confront this lie that says, I missed my chance to be who I could have been. I missed my chance to be who I could have been. Now listen, it does not matter what station in life you are currently in. If you are old, if you are young, if you're content or if you're dissatisfied, I think we can all look back at something in our lives and go, gosh, I wonder what could have been. I wonder who I could have been. I wonder what life could have looked like if only things were a little bit different. Teenagers. My 20th high school reunion was last night. It's been a long time since I've been out of high school. And um, I can distinctly remember, though, being your age. I remember what it was like to walk into high school my very first day and be overwhelmed. I remember what it's like to sit in my freshman English class. I remember the desk that I sat in. Old people, do y'all have any of those kinds of memories? You're going, why is this taking up space where my grocery list needs to live? But we can remember some of those things. But I know even for teenagers, you can already look back and think, what could, I, what could have been? Maybe if I started taking my academics more seriously sooner, I could have been a scholar. Or maybe if my parents had started me in sports a little bit sooner, I wouldn't just be riding the bench, but I'd be a starter. Some of you are already regretting Maybe the choices that you've made with your friends socially. You got involved with the wrong crowd and you wonder, what could my reputation be if only I hadn't done that? You see, this truth applies to all of us, young or old. Old people, we have more to look back on, don't we? We have more life circumstances where we can look back and think, gosh, I just just messed that up. And there are any number of things that this could be in your life where you look back and think, If I hadn't spent so much money on Xbox games, or for us, it was like Nintendo, right? If only I hadn't spent all my money on that, maybe today I'd be financially stable. Or if only when I was in high school, I didn't get involved with the wrong crowd and start trying drugs, maybe I would not have fallen into addiction. We think maybe if I hadn't gotten pregnant when I did, my life would look different. Or if I had pursued the major in college that was my passion instead of what I was told I could make a living in, maybe then my life would be different. And I'm not suggesting, y'all, that we are all walking around miserable going, oh my gosh, I just hate my life and I can't believe this is it. But I think what's perhaps a little scarier, a little more dangerous is the fact that we are wondering silently And it's impacting who we are, but nobody else in our life is even aware of it. 
We're questioning, who could I have been? What could I have accomplished? What could God have done with me if only I had met him sooner? You see, it's not always just about the actions that we took. Sometimes it's about the actions we failed to take. It's not always about what we did. Sometimes it's about what's done to us. I'm willing to bet in a a crowd this size, there is someone in here who has been the object of someone else's abuse. And you think if only they hadn't done that to me, maybe my life would have turned out better. You see, it's not always our fault that we feel we missed our chance to be who we could have been. Sometimes it's the result of our circumstances. And yet we walk around wondering what if. I want to tell you about a friend of mine. So a few weeks ago during worship, during the very first song, I was sitting over here and I heard God tell me something to tell her. And now listen, this does not happen very often in my life, okay? I don't believe I operate in the prophetic where God gives me messages for people all the time. But on that day, he did. And he said, Jenny, I want you to tell her that it's time to let it go. I said, okay, well, that's a little weird. So I'm going to sit on that. And I ignored God as we often do. I said, okay, thanks. Yeah, thanks, God. He wouldn't leave me alone. During the second song, he got a little bit louder, as God is prone to do. And he said, I want you, Jenny, to go over to her and tell her it's time to let go of what she's been holding on to. I said, okay, God, if you're going to go all frozen on me, I'll tell her to let it go. (laughs) Didn't know what it meant. So I told her, I said, this is going to sound strange, but God said it's time for you to let go. And she looked at me and she said, okay. She didn't know what it meant either. She had no idea. And so, of course, I'm going, did I hear it wrong? Should I have kept quiet? I shouldn't have said that. If y'all have ever operated in this way, say amen. Okay, we're going, no, I just heard that wrong. I'm crazy. But I have to tell you the end of the story. Last Sunday, she came to me with tears streaming down her face and said, Jeannie, I've got to tell you what God showed me. And she was equal parts teary and excited. And she said, this is what he showed me. When she was in college, she was, ironically enough, a Division I athlete. She wasn't a football player, but she was an athlete and she was at the top of her sport. Her coaches thought that she even had Olympic potential. She was that talented. And so they told her, if you work really hard, if you train, if you are diligent with your diet, if you work hard enough, this is what you can be. But like many college students, she got distracted And there were other shiny objects in her life, right, that she decided to chase after. Partying became more fun for her. Hanging out with friends became more fun for her because it required discipline to be the top of her sport and she could just kind of fall into having fun. So she fell into having fun and this is what she did. She quit her sport. At the top of it, y'all, she could have been an Olympian. She walked away from it and gave it up. And she said, this is what God showed me about the message that you shared with me. For 20 years since I quit that sport, I have carried around with me the identity that I am a quitter, that I am one who leaves when things get hard, that I'm a quitter. That's who I am. And she says, I've always wondered what could I have been? What could have happened in my athletic career if I hadn't given up and walked away? And she said, this is the the kicker. I didn't even realize that what I had believed about myself stemmed from that. I had carried it for 20 years and I did not connect the dots. I did not identify that my feelings of being a quitter came from that. 
And God showed me when you were obedient and said, it's time to let it go. God showed me that's what it was. And she said, Jeannie, there's a weight that's been lifted off me. Because I know, even though that's what I did then, that's not who I am now. And I don't have to wonder about what could have been because what could have been is not the most important thing. What is, is the most important thing. And I feel like that's a word for somebody today. There is a weight that is weighing you down that you don't even realize is weighing you down. And here's the thing. We don't know because we don't ask. And we don't ask because we don't want to know. Because if we find out, then we have to deal with it, right? We have to face it. Jesus will show us what is holding us back. He will reveal it to us. And if we will release it, he will redeem it. But this is what I know about us. We think I'm living plan B that's inferior to the plan A God had for me. I think we all imagine that when we are in our mother's wombs that God has this beautiful yellow brick road path laid out for us that's our plan A. And what happens is that we make poor decisions. We take wrong turns and we get off course. And because of the decisions we make, we think, okay, God has to try to splice things together to make a life for me. And that becomes the plan B that I'm forced to live instead of the plan A that God had for me. Does anybody relate to that? We think what I missed out on is probably better than what currently is. We think this is okay. You might even be happy and content in the life that you have, but you wonder, could it have been any better? Was there something else that I'm not getting to experience because I screwed it all up? And this one I think is the most dangerous. I'm getting what I deserve. What I'm facing now, the struggles, the hardships that I'm facing, the doubt, the anxiety that I grapple with on a daily basis, maybe that's what I deserve because of things I did in my past. Listen, God is not going to force the redemption of what you won't release. He is a good God. He is a merciful God, but he is also, as pastor says, almost weekly, he is a gentleman. And when we are holding on to things from our past like this with, with tight fists, he is not going to come and pry your fingers open. He is going to wait until you willingly surrender and lay it down. And then he will redeem it. Because if he pries your hands open, he might physically get you to a place where you're ready to receive it, but spiritually you're not there yet. And he's not going to force it on you until you're ready for it. He won't force the redemption of what you won't release. And this morning he is saying to each one of us, there's something that you need to release. Just like he sent me to her to say it's time to let it go, he sent me to you today to, to say it's time to let it go. It's time to ask him what it is. It's time to acknowledge what that might be. And it is time to release it, or should I say them? It's not just one thing. It's time to let those things go. It is time. Here's the truth. We confronted the lie, right? The lie is I missed out on who I could have been. The truth is his plans for you don't stop. His plans for you don't stop because you stop. His plans for you don't stop because you make a wrong turn, because you make a sinful decision, because you screwed up when you were 17. His plans for you don't stop because of your addiction, because of the abuse that you endured. His plans for you don't stop, period, without condition. And when we fall into the trap of thinking, I messed everything up, then we don't even need God. 
because we think we are more powerful than he is. If you think you have the power to screw it all up, then you don't understand who our God is. He is not one that will let you screw it all up because he redeems everything. His plans for us do not stop. Somebody needs to internalize that truth today. I want you to understand that God is not paying you back for what you have done in your past. I don't care how heinous it was. It does not matter how sinful of a past you lived. It does not even matter, truthfully, what you did last night. If today you'll lay it down, he is a God of redemption, not a God of retribution. Any hardship that you are facing in your life today, do not see it as a divine lightning bolt from Jesus striking you down saying, how dare you? This is what you deserve. This is what you get. Because he is a God of grace. He is a God of forgiveness and a God of mercy, not a God of retribution. People might pay you back for wrongs you've committed against them. That's not who God is. That is not who our Jesus is. He is a God of redemption, but we have to be willing to lay things down for them to be redeemed. I want you to look at these verses from Romans 8. I think these are super important for where we're headed today. This verse 28 says, we know that for those who love God, it's us, right? His people. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things. All means all. All means every one of those things. Your addiction, your abuse, your divorce, the abandonment. It all works together for good for those who are called into his purpose. Look at this. What then shall we say to those things? Oh, it's good, y'all. What shall we say to those things, those things that are holding us back, those things that we have labeled and identified ourselves at? What shall we say to those things? My God is for us. My God is for me. Make it personal. He is for me. So if those things come against us, that's fine. They'll try, but they will not have the final say. Because, I'm going to go back, slide people. I'm going to go back because all things work together. All things. I could have you pull out a piece of paper right now and start listing all your things. We have a list, don't we? We have a list, and it might be a private list that nobody else in our lives even knows about, but it's there, and it's weighing us down like it weighed my friend down. It's identifying us for decades like it did her. It's a list. I am this. I am this. I am not this. I did this. I did that. I didn't do that. And we have a list that looks like Santa Claus's list, right? It unrolls, and it goes on and on and on. But here's the truth we've got to get to today, y'all. The truth is all things, all of those things work together for good. That doesn't mean, oh, this is for somebody. That doesn't mean they disappear and you forget about them and it's as if they never happened. Because that's what we want, right? We want a magic eraser. Those things are crazy, right? Have you ever cleaned your bathtub with those? They're crazy. They take it all away. We want a magic eraser for all those things in our lives. Here's the thing. They're not going to go away, but what's going to happen is those things that are ashes are going to be turned to beauty. 
those things that weighed us down are going to become light. The yoke that we carried on our own and we struggled under is going to become a burden that is manageable because we're not carrying it alone. Have you lived long enough to see Jesus do that in your life yet? I have, y'all. I have lived long enough, struggled with Jesus long enough, let's be real, like Jacob. Came out a little, little different, okay? My hip hurts sometimes. Came out a little different, but I have lived long enough to see Jesus take the things that I hated, the things that I would have given anything to go away, to be taken from me. I have seen him turn those things into things of beauty, to sing the things that he uses for his kingdom, for his glory. And not just that, y'all. He could, because he's God, he could just use them for his glory. But you know what else he uses them for? Our good. He's so good. He's not willing to just make it about himself, but he wants us to experience the benefit of the redemption that happens when we give it to him. That is who our Jesus is. He works all things together for good. And so today, you have a choice. You can choose your focus. Your focus can be what could have been or what is yet to be. And here's what I believe. I don't know that I'm right. I think I am. My husband would probably say, yes, you think she's right. The focus is what could have been or what is yet to be. And I don't think you can focus on both of those things at the same time and get anywhere. If I am wanting to move forward in my life and to see God redeem the years that the locusts have stolen somebody, if I want to see what is yet to be, I cannot simultaneously look back and go, but wait, what could have been? Who could I have been? What could you have done? Because if we're looking back, you can't look forward while you're looking back. It can't happen. Think about Lot's wife. Things ended poorly when she looked back, yes? But that's what we do on a daily basis. We act as if. We're posturing ourselves as if we're moving forward in life, but what we're really doing is going, but God, and we're looking back. And so here's the decision we have to make right now. Don't put it off and, you know, I'll start that Monday morning. No. Monday morning. It's not a good time to start things. Start today. What is my focus going to be? What could have been or what is yet to be? Jesus has some things for your yet to be. I'm here to tell you. All right. So the main teaching today is from John chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, just take a look up on the screen. And I want to set the stage for what's happening here. Jesus has been out ministering. He has been out performing miracles, showing people who he is. And at this particular point, what happens is there is a feast of the Jews. I don't know what this would have looked like, but I imagine it's like Thanksgiving on crack, okay? Like everybody is gathering together. There's a feast of all these people and they're all gathering. And so Jesus goes to Jerusalem for this feast. And there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. So just picture a large structure under which there are these pools, okay? And that is where Jesus is headed. And in those colonnades near those pools, there lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 
Now, I was a former English teacher, and so whenever we were reading something, I would ask my students to try to visualize what's happening, right? In your mind's eye, so we're going today, in our minds, try to picture what this looked like, okay? Everywhere, as far as you can see, there are people whose bodies are broken. People whose bodies are broken. They're blind. They can't see. They're lame, which means some part of their body is not working correctly. And even those who are paralyzed completely cannot move. Everywhere you see people, you see people who are broken. One of those people had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, we don't know his specific infirmity. We don't know if he was blind, if he was lame, if he was paralyzed. It doesn't give us that detail. All we know is that for 38 years, he had been that way. Guys, I am 38 years old. And I just don't think it's a, it's a coincidence that God let me speak on this passage today. For 38 years, this man had been broken. There was something that was not working the way it was intended to function. He had been lying there, an invalid, for 38 years. And for many of us, whatever our infirmity is, whatever you want to name that, condition that you've been carrying around. For some of us, it's been a really long time, hasn't it? We've had it for decades, maybe even for generations. Biblically, guess how long a generation was? 38 years. This man had been ill, unwell for a really long time. And don't you have to wonder what those 38 years would have looked like? Don't you wonder what did life look like for this man who had been that way for so long? And this is what happens next. This is important. In your Bible, if you're looking at a physical copy, verse four might be omitted and it might be kind of down as a footnote, but you can't miss this. This is the reason the multitude of invalids were lying by the pool. It's because an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. All of those people who were broken were lying by what they believed to be the source of their healing. What is so interesting to me is that they could only go in when the waters were stirred. They couldn't just jump in at any time. And the fact that they were willing to stay there until the waters were stirred, showed their desperation, right? They wanted to be the first to get in because it says whoever stepped in first was the one who was healed. So picture that. They're all trying, whenever the waters are stirred, to get into the water. They're all trying to get there. They're all trying to get to that to be healed. Does anybody want to pick up what I'm laying down? We all have a that and a there, don't we? We all have something that we think, if only I can get there, my problem will be fixed. If only I can get a new job, my finances will be secure. If only I can get a better boyfriend, my life will be better. If only, if only, if only. And so we're looking to all of these other things as our source of healing, trying like the multitudes, fighting, clawing our way to get there when there is not what we need to be trying to get to at all. Here is what Jesus says to him. Jesus sees him lying there, and of course, because he's God, he knows, he's already been there for a while. He knows, and he says to him, do you want to be healed? Okay, let me ask you a little question and answer here. What are the two responses to a question, do you want? Yes. 
Okay. So you might say something like, do you want to go to Cracker Barrel today? The answer is no, because it's crowded. Do you want Clemson fans Kelly Bryant to come back? No, we're good. Do you want X or Y? The answer is yes or no, right? Look what the invalid says. He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, somebody else gets there before me. Does he say yes or no? No. It's a simple question, right? Do you want to be healed? The obvious answer is yes. But instead, the invalid offers an excuse. Here's why I'm not well, Jesus. I'm not well because nobody else has taken me there. Nobody else has done this for me, and everybody else is getting in my way. He doesn't answer yes or no. Instead, he offers an excuse. The question before us today is, do you want to be well? Are you going to give a yes or a no or an excuse? Because you're going to give one of those three. It's like if I were to ask the question to you today, do you want to be physically healthy? We would all probably say yes. Do you want to be healthy? Yes. Okay. Well, here's what's going to have to happen. You have to change the way you eat. You got to choose broccoli instead of burgers. You got to get up early before work to exercise. You see, there's a difference between intellectually acknowledging that you want something and changing the behavior to go in pursuit of it. There is a difference. This man wanted to be healed, but he believed he could only be healed by getting into the water. Where are you looking for your healing. If it's not Jesus, guess what? It's not going to work. This might not make sense when you initially read it. For something in your life to change, something in your life must change. If you go back to the physical health example, if you want your physical health to change, guess what? You got to make a change. It's not just going to happen. It's not. I was never an athlete in school. I was one of those people who had no coordination. But in my adult years, I've taken up running. And I wanted to begin to get faster. Guess what? For something in my running life to change, something in my running life had to change. I couldn't just run long distances. I had to do sprints. And I had to do hills. had to do intervals. And guess what? It's not fun. But for something in your life to change, something in your life must change, friends. Something must change. So Jesus looks at this man after he offers his excuse, and he says three things to him. Now, I think this is so interesting. He says to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And so what can we assume, English word, what can we infer, that Jesus has done to him? Healed him right? You don't say get up to somebody who can't get up. So he's healed him. Because he's God, he didn't have to say anything to him. Think about the woman with the issue of blood in scripture. All she did was touch the hem of his garment and she was healed. Jesus does not have to speak. And yet in this moment, he chooses to speak and he gives three instructions. Get up, take up your bed and walk. Now listen, those three phrases those three things, instructions that he gives to this man don't just mean what they look like on the surface. And this is where it gets good. 
So when Jesus says to him, get up, it does not physically mean you who are in a prone position physically get up. It's not what it means. You know what it means? It means to collect your faculties. It means to get your mind right. Get your mind right. Anybody else in here a tough love kind of mama or daddy? I'm, I'm tough love. I'm one of those, when my kids would come to me bleeding, I'd say, well, I guess you learned your lesson. You shouldn't have been doing that in the first place. All right, that's who I am, okay? It's my love language. If I'm sarcastic to you, you know you're in. And Jesus is not the kind of God that I think I would be. Because he asked the man a yes or no question. He doesn't answer with a yes or no. And I would have said, excuse me. This is why I think I'd be a great reporter like in the White House. Because I would have said, excuse me, you did not answer my question. And that's not what Jesus said. Instead, instead he said, Tim, get up, take up your bed and walk. He says, get your mind right. Son, it's time to collect your faculties. He heals him physically, but that's not his only desire for this man. Someone needs to hear this today. We want Jesus to fix our circumstances, our situations, the external, and he is more interested in doing a work in our hearts than he is just fixing our circumstances. And maybe that's the reason we have remained an invalid for years is because he's waiting for our minds to get to a place where they can receive the real healing that we need and not just the fixing of our circumstances. If you're lying there, there's a reason why. He's trying to get your attention. And so he says, get up. And then the next thing he says, it's my favorite part. He says, take up your bed. Now, newsflash, I didn't live in biblical times. I'm old, we're old, but not that old, right, Pastor? And so I don't know what the bed would have looked like, but by those descriptions, it's just like a little pallet, Okay. It's not a thick mattress. It's not like the Sealy Posturepedic you have in your bedroom. That's not it at all. And I picture it more like a mat. And so this man has been lying on this mat for years. And I want you to think what that mat would have represented to him. That mat was his entire world, wasn't it? That was his place of comfort. When someone saw that mat, they would say, oh, that belongs to so-and-so. It's his place of comfort, the place he would return to after he struggled to get to the pool but wasn't the first one there. When he failed to receive his healing, that's where he would have gone back to. His mat was a significant part of his life. And when Jesus says to him, take up your mat, take up your bed, it doesn't just mean pick it up. What it means is to bear it up, to raise it up, and to carry it away. And the image in the original language that we're supposed to picture in our minds is that of an anchor being raised. This man's mat, if it had a label on it, would have said diseased, invalid, unwell, not healed, unable, sick, different, his mat showed the world who he was. And for him, it wasn't just a mat, but it was an anchor weighing him down, keeping him from the image that we get in our minds when it says, take up your bed, raising that anchor up. So you can do what? You don't just raise your anchor up to sit there in port. You raise it up to set sail. 
And that's what Jesus is telling this man to do, to lift up what was your anchor. I've cut the rope to it, and it weighs you down no more. Set sail now, my friend. Your straw mat is just a straw mat. It is no longer an anchor. And you and I each have an anchor today. You can be as saved as saved can be. You can be walking with Jesus madly in love with him and still be weighed down by what you believe to be an anchor in your life. What is your anchor labeled today? What does it say across your straw mat? Abandoned, abused, unloved. You know what mine said for years? Rejected. That's what mine said. And it was an anchor, y'all, that held me down. I was saved. I loved Jesus. I wanted to walk with him. But there was an anchor in my life. And here's the kicker. I did not know, I did not understand in my mind that he had already cut the rope to that anchor. And I was the one who was picking it up and struggling with it when all he's saying is, let it go. Somebody say, let it go. He has cut the rope to our anchor and he is saying, just bear it up and set sail, my child. You can focus on what was or you can focus on what is yet to be. If you will focus on what is yet to be, I will become the anchor. You will have this hope as the anchor for your soul, not that anchor that defeated you. And so he says, take up your bed and then he says to walk. And walk does not just mean take one step after another. No, it means you're going full circle. It means you are no longer who you were. And you know what else it means? To make use of opportunities. It's real good. Because there are things in our lives, our anchors, our labels, the things we need to let go, that we believe are obstacles, that we think he can't do anything good with that part of my life. And so it's an obstacle getting in the way of our purpose and our destiny. And he is saying, no, it's an opportunity. Walk with me, walk in step with me. And everything that was an obstacle will become an opportunity for your good and for my glory. But you gotta get up. You gotta collect your faculties. You gotta get your mind right, girl. You gotta let go of that anger, pick up your mat and set sail. Your life is never about what was in the past. It is about what's next. It is about your destiny in Jesus. Satan wants you to believe that those things define you and hold you back. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what I said. We've got to get our minds right. And today is an opportunity for us to do that. Today is a chance for you to confront what's going on in here that you would rather deny so you don't have to deal with it. But God is saying, if we don't deal with it now, it's only gonna get worse. It's like a cut that you never cleanse. It festers and it gets infected and the wound becomes larger and it affects your movement on a daily basis. And for some of us, we are living lives full of infection. And Jesus is saying, I have the ointment. I have what can heal you. Do you want to be healed? Yes or no? It's a simple question, but the answer is one we have to be willing to be honest about. Do I really want to be healed? Because you know what? Sometimes healing hurts. 
That's the story of my life. Healing hurts. It hurts to face head on all of the rejection. It hurts to face the forgiveness that you don't want to deal with. It hurts. But if we don't face it, we'll never heal from it. What we don't release, God cannot redeem. And this morning is an opportunity for you to release. Here in just a second, our worship team is gonna come back up and they are gonna lead us in, I hope it's not just singing, I hope it's really worship for you this morning. And the lyrics of this song are so powerful. I've had this song on repeat in my house. It's called Here Again, it's one of my favorites. And the lyrics are this, can't go back to the beginning and I can't control what tomorrow will bring. But I know here in the middle is the place you promise to be. And if you are a person this morning who is feeling stuck, stuck between what was or what could have been and what is yet to be, Jesus is saying that stuck place, that middle, I'll be there if you ask me. I'll be there to heal you if you'll let me in. Can't go back. Guys, we can't. We can't go back and change it. We can't go back and make things turn out differently. But from this moment forward, we can make a choice about what we're going to do with Jesus. The bridge of this song is where I just lose it every time and I go into the ugly cry. So good. It says, not for a minute was I forsaken. I told you my label, my mat, my anchor was rejection. I was, the truth is, forsaken by a person. And it hurt. But that became my identity. I was no longer someone who was forsaken. I was forsakenness. I was the one rejected, not wanted, unworthy, unloved. That's what I believed of myself. And it was a years long process of Jesus whispering to me over and over, what that person did is not what I did. What happened to you did not come from me. What a person did is not what I'll ever do. Not for a minute was I forsaken. Listen, your healing might come overnight. It might come in a minute. Mine took years. It took years of Jesus scraping away the infection and replacing it with new tissue that was alive and growing, that could receive the truth that not for a minute was I forsaken because, this is the best part, the Lord is in this place. The Lord was in my woundedness. He was in my brokenness. He was in the rejection. He was in every minute with me. And here's the thing, y'all, he's not just in a building. When we sing this song, we're gonna sing the words, the Lord is in this place. Yes, he is here because believers are gathered, but he is in the place of your misery. He is in the place of your brokenness. He is the place where you, in the place where you are anchored to the ground. He is in that place and he is saying, let me cut it. Let me cut that anchor away so you can set sail. Not for a minute were you, make it personal, not for a minute were you forsaken. The Lord was and is in that place. And friends, He is there waiting on you today to release it so He can redeem it and bring beauty from those ashes. That is who our God is. I am living proof. He has taken what was meant for evil and has turned it to good. 
and He is offering the same to you. I'm gonna ask two things of you here in just a second. One is that if you need to do some business with God and say, God, I felt forsaken. This is what I believed about myself. I want you to make this your altar. I want you to come down here and I want you to do what needs to be done with God because for something in your life to change, something in your life must change and it starts today. The second thing I want you to do is if you feel led when I pray, I want you to respond. Do not let anything keep you from listening to the voice of the Lord in your spirit this morning because he's speaking to you. I see it on your faces. Listen to him and respond. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. And I am in awe of how you can take, God, what was meant for evil and you can make something good out of it, not just for yourself, but for us. And Jesus, I know that there are probably people in this room to whom that makes no sense because they don't know you. And so God, I am begging you this morning, if there is a person in this room who does not know you as their savior, who has not walked with you, that in this moment right now, they will lift up their hand and they will say, I need that healing. I need that forgiveness. I need that redemption. I need to release something into my life and I want to follow you, Jesus. If that's you, lift up your hand. For the rest of you, ask God, show me. God, would you show us, show us what it is that's the anchor that's holding us back, that's preventing us from walking into the fullness of your promise. And Jesus, meet us in that place. Meet us here this morning. Meet us in that circumstance that seems overwhelming. Jesus, would you meet us? You are good and we trust you as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.